All right, hello friends. Season two, episode four. Bar is closed. 90 plus days, no booze or any liquor of the sorts. Anybody who tells you that you don't feel healthier off the, off the booze or off the regular potion is lying. <laughs> I guess some of the, the best benefits I'm feeling right now are, it's, you know, I gotta, I gotta eat to put on weight, right? I'm not struggling with weight and carrying extra pounds and that whole side of things, so that's really cool. Like I've mentioned before, but more than ever, my appetite is at an all-time high, which is fun. I've got the alpha brain thing going and some herbs and things, so, you know, the kind of alertness and general nervous system feeling pretty steady and therefore less stress, less anxiety, less nerve, you know, reactions and just triggers of emotional reactions are occurring, which is super good. Uh, added pleasure, you know, and just in the presence, taking Tahoe for a walk and out in the park and watching a small sleepy winter town wake up in the springtime, sun coming out and, you know, smaller scale than Manhattan, but, you know, just the whole changeover of wardrobe and vibe, you know, and just being able to be in the moment enough to enjoy that is a pretty groovy thing. You know, had I been drinking, I would, I would have enough in and outs of sobriety that I would feel like I wasn't capturing that at the full spectrum that I get to enjoy for right now. So that's one of my groovy benefits of sobriety at the moment is that, you know, it's actually more enjoyable. And then I've always said, but, you know, I can clearly see that I'm, I'm definitely more valuable in that regular sober state as well versus any kind of escapism or pleasure seeking. It's just really more purpose driven and clarity, pursuit of harmony. So on the sobriety tip, versus a weakness tip and, you know, overcoming versus the concept of actually let's design, let's design our life, let's choose what we like, that part, you know, and what do I like about sobriety and what does it make me wake up to that I don't like and what do I like about drinking and then where does it take me to the places that I don't like about myself and that type of self-actualization only us can do with us, right? It's an individual journey for any of and all of us and it takes a lot of courage to really step into that and to step into it with heart. I can, you know, I've said it before, I've had a lot of relationships in my life now and in the past, you know, where people felt like they just were not in their heart in sobriety and it scared the shit out of me. They were sober, but they just didn't feel warm in the ability to give and receive love. And so it was nerve wracking because they couldn't make sense out of why sobriety was a good idea. <laughs> so, so now also I can see where the dates kind of come in and play a fun role for people, right? I'm over 90 days, 93, four or five days, whatever, but hitting the 90 day point where I could give myself a glass of wine or whatever I want to choose to do in my, in my moderation, all of a sudden your, your clock starts over, <laughs> you know? And it's like running a marathon in a sense, you know, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I could drink, but then I'm one day without drinking instead of 95. And it's only for myself, but now it's, I guess, these you know, self-imposed goals, if you will, the exercise of discipline, which is really a big part of this, you know, which I think, as many will attest, are, is one of the greatest ways to carve your best self out. But in that discipline mode now, that self-gratification of 90 days and then 120 days and whatever those are, and I was thinking about celebrities who are sober and them being able to throw on numbers like 25 years and 17 years, and I could see the pride of ownership in that, you know, and not so much from a, that I didn't drink, but more from a, I made a choice and in the choosing and doing, this was the better route for me. And 
going back in that direction for whatever reasons would be a compromise, right? I mean, it's the only reason why. Like, if you feel like you finally got a handle on whatever you got a handle, or at least for me, I knew it took the first 60, the second 60, the third 90 for me to feel like I was out of the powerlessness of some of it. And therefore, in that powerlessness, you know, obviously making up scripts of my own, there's all kinds of great terminology out there about, you know, how I talk myself into my weaknesses and my weaker being. And conquering that demon and going through the pathways of the mind to understand why that dark person existed there in the first place, you know, all that's work, but once you kind of get your groove on with it, it's really satisfying. I gotta say, it's a truly gratifying thing to not feel powerless. <laughs> that would seem obvious. You know, I left us off with, you know, some real candid conversations about what has been going on with me and what has transpired in the last year and what feels like has been the fallout and what had felt supernatural and apocalyptic. And I thought, you know, I would kind of steer us in the direction of maybe doing a little backstory and doing a real leap back and kind of, because where do you go from there in some directions, right? You know, that's the rest of it's just my story. So how did I get there is something that might even be more universal for all of us. And I hope to have that conversation more in a, you know, in no way a martyr or a woes me or tough life or anything like that, but just, you know, really kind of identifying the human experience and better understanding and registering why they had the impact they did and, and why that impact had such substantial influence in my life and for such a sustainable period of time. I mean, wow, you know, 40 years from five and stuff like that. I mean, that's a long time for those seeds to be planted and doing their thing. So I'll leave it with this, you know, it, as I understand it, it all started with a young couple in Kansas City, Missouri. Both of my dad was looking like he was in the middle class, but it was a black sheep family because of my grandpa Wendy. My grandma on my dad's side, you know, had a strong grip on her her youth. And so my dad and his brother and their sisters and, and so on looked middle class. And my mom and my grandmother and her two sisters were all living what probably was one layer underneath that, you know, hopeful middle class. Yeah, my grandmother's a very dignified woman and always intended on looking well and, and living well and making sure her family did the same. So so anyway, these two young people fell in love, as I understand it. So that's kind of one of the nicer feelings in my life is that I do probably believe enough of the story that I was conceived in love. And that's less traumatic, dramatic thought notion that at least I get to experience and take with me in this in this world. But they got pregnant. My mom got pregnant with me when she was 15, and at that time my dad was 14. So when my mom delivered me, she was just turned 16 by a couple of months, and my dad was still a few months away shy of 16. So can you imagine just let me looking around and try to like scope out the room for a 15 and a 14 year old and and try to imagine them navigating through this next chapter of their life where they had come home. Like further hear the story of, you know, I don't know how true this part is because, you know, they were lovebirds there for a bit, but you know, this was a, a moment after high school on the couch. It sounded like, at least that was the most probable of whereby I was conceived. And then, boy, it gets to be a little bit of a rough ride for both of them right after that. So I guess I'll leave us there and I'll come back and join you and tell you more about that next time. Bars Closed, Season 2, Episode 4. Thanks for being here. 
Yeah.